of our series, What's on Your Mind? We've been talking about this for months, and uh, this first topic was one of the first ones that I had received, and I think it can relate to everyone. We've actually been talking about this kind of thing uh, around a little bit, especially on Wednesdays, but the title of the message is, maybe, no, Ryan, and because he lived. We're going to try and load it again. Nope. Maybe the batteries are done this. Can you advance it for me? There you go. All right. If it doesn't work, then just be on cue up there. How do you face it all? How do you face it all? Whenever I was in Columbus pastoring uh, in Blacklick, uh, I went over to uh, one of the local hospitals uh, to visit someone from our congregation. And as I was leaving and getting in the elevator, uh, it was just myself and this, this, uh, this uh, older gentleman. And I asked him, how are you doing today? And he uh, looked at me and he said, I've been better. And so I proceeded to engage in a conversation with him. And he had told me about a friend of his that had been in the hospital. And uh, he had been to see this friend uh, 34 out of the last 37 days. And he said that this friend of his went in for a routine procedure and came out of the procedure paralyzed from the waist down. And he had been better. How does someone face life after a tragedy like this? This is one of those messages that if you're going through something difficult, you're going to want to hear. Pay attention. We're going to give you some tips, some steps, some keys to help you through your time. If you're not going through anything difficult and life's just kind of sailing along, don't fall asleep on me because before the end of the day is out, something could hit to where you're going to need what we're going to talk about today. How do you face it all? What does one do when they're faced with disappointment? Disaster or despair, when even life itself is threatened? What do you do when relationships crumble or pink slips are served? A child goes wayward. Marriage falls apart. Or you get a phone call that changes life forever. Scripture tells us, we know this verse, Scripture tells us that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Yet when we encounter the harsh realities of life and we hear this verse, we often wonder, how can this verse be? But notice what the verse says. I don't have it up there, but the verse says, all things, it doesn't say all things work together for good, period. Does it? It says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. If you love the Lord, if God is first in your life, if you are serving Him, then sometimes things are going to happen and God can make it work out for the good to those that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Just back up here for a second and and, and look at just um, general Christian experiences. When you first respond to the grace 
of Jesus Christ and you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are born again and you have entered the kingdom of God. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within your heart. He affirms your relationship with God. He comforts you and he leads you into all truth. But there's a couple of verses here. We'll see if this works now. But listen to this. It's not walking. All right, Ryan, go ahead, brother. For he who formed you or for he who foreknew and formed you, I'm sure, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Notice the verse I started off with, Romans 8:28, for all things work together for good for those who know the Lord, for those that are called according to his purpose. Isn't it interesting this is the very next verse? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Next verse, Ryan. Second Corinthians tells us that we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. After we accept Jesus, God then begins to do a supernatural work of transforming you and I into the image of Jesus Christ, who was perfect and is perfect. How does he do this? He does this through a various uh, number of ways, but one of the ways is that he sends us and allows us to go through hardships. He uses tests and trials to develop your character and life. By responding to trials in the grace of God, and I hope you'll never forget this, because when I caught on to it a while ago, I've never forgotten it. The grace of God, the grace is having a divine influence on your life. Don't forget that. A divine influence on your life. By responding to the trials in the divine influence of God and the grace of God, you will experience the power of God's Spirit, which will be manifested in your life through the fruit of the Spirit. I'm preaching this, and I have not yet, as Paul said, arrived. I'm learning even today. That even in our hardships and trials, God, do you believe that God still expects us to live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Do you believe that? Yeah. Not easy, is it? But that's what he wants us to do. We know that God wants to do this in our hearts. So why do we act surprised whenever we go through trials? We do, don't we? But First Peter tells us, next verse, tells us, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that, that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Typically, the, the Bible talks about... Um, eight different types of tests that every Christian uh, will likely or in some form face throughout their life. It talks about fiery trials. That's intense encounters or struggles. Bursts of anger or grief or lust. talks about infirmities, those physical illnesses and sufferings that we go through in our bodies. talks about reproaches, the ridicule and rejection 
on account of our faith or our holiness. Ah, there's a message there. Persecutions, harassment, and oppression due to religious convictions. Necessities, what does that mean? The wear and tear that comes from life's daily responsibilities. Distresses, disappointments, and deep hurts. Tribulations, unusual pressures and challenges and temptations. Opportunities to yield to our sinful nature. Those are just some of the ways that the Bible says that uh, our, our inner man can be strengthened in hardships and difficulties and trials. These things, folks, are just a fact of life. They are going to happen to all of us in one form or another. We can no more stop them from happening than we can stop the rising of the sun nor its setting. But one thing is for sure. One thing that we can control is how we respond when life's hardships come. You have a choice. You, have a cho- you had a choice whether or not to get up out of bed this morning and come. You have a choice. Everything in life is a choice. And if you and I are going through a difficulty right now, we have a choice to follow the Lord or not. How amazing that last Sunday and this Sunday, the the topic has been surrounding what we've been talking about on Wednesdays. For those of you that were in our class on Wednesday, we're studying James. And we've hit this verse. Go ahead, Ryan. James chapter 1, 2 and 4. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We talked about this, that as difficulties come, God is trying to create in us patience. The word we said last week on Sunday and on Wednesday and this morning, it's not up there, but the Greek word is hupopone. Hupopone, what that stands for is to have a consistency or constancy about us. That means that we become dependable to the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we become faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. That even in our hardship, wow, I haven't really got this mastered yet. Even in our trial, we can become cheerful. And as we talked about on Wednesday, God is trying to develop in you and I a steadfastness. That's what patience means. As you're going through this difficulty, he's trying to uh, um, form all of these things in us. Patience, endurance, steadfastness, being dependable. And it also says, I mean, sometimes this takes a while. That's why it says patience needs to have its perfect work. Its perfect work. Sometimes God is not going to just get us out of this trial in a hurry. The illustration that I used was uh, uh, about a week or two ago, uh, we were cooking a roast in, in the house. And those of you who are in the class, you know this illustration, but we all know what it smells like whenever you enter a house and the roast has been cooking all day. It just smells glorious, doesn't it? You can smell it now. Just take a deep breath and you can... It's probably not roast you're smelling, but... Um, <laughs> But whenever I went in the house and I smelled that, that smell and it was glorious, I was hungry. I wanted it right then and there, but it was not yet ready. I had to let it cook hours more. It was not yet tender and moist. And a lot of times when God sends us through something difficult, He's got to let faith produce its perfect work. 
Sometimes God is not going to deliver us because we're not yet tender and moist. Yeah. That perfect work, the Greek word is teleos, having a mental and a moral character that is complete. And what is implied here is growth. It's a work in progress. I want to give you five things real quick this morning, five things that can help us, help you as we go through those things that say, make us say, how can I face it? How can I do this? Number one, give thanks. Right away I want to say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Give thanks. This is often one of the most difficult things that you and I have to try and do during our hardship Scripture, though, is very clear about this response. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. To be thankful rather than to complain takes a conscious act of the will and a sacrifice of the natural desires. Again, I have not yet mastered this. Have you? To be thankful rather than to complain takes a conscious act of the will and a sacrifice of natural desires. We often sing the song, Blessed be your name, when the sun is shining down on me, when the world is as it should be, blessed be your name. But maybe you'll never think of this part of the song again. You'll notice it also says, Blessed be your name on the road that is marked with suffering, though there's pain in my offering. Blessed be your name. Greater Vision sings a song. God wants to hear you sing. When the waves are crashing around you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see, God wants to hear your voice. When the wisest man has spoken, says there's no chance of there being any hope for your life. Your chances are hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. Hard to do, but we can give thanks. Unfortunately, most of us respond with murmuring or complaining when we face hardship of any kind. We then experience great emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical stress if we don't give in to this and give in to the Lord. However, it's through trials that we see in Philippians. It tells us, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, thanking God in all things does not mean that we thank God for evil. It means that we are thanking God for the benefits that he intends for us to have on the other side as we get through the difficulty. And we're also thankful because we know that we know that we know he is walking with us through this trial. Number two, rejoice. (laughs) Seriously, again, thankful, rejoice. Along with giving thanks, we are also instructed to rejoice in all things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, 
you know that childlike song that we sing. Now, thanking God, what we just talked about, listen to this, thanking God is an act of the will, but rejoicing is a response of the Spirit. See, notice the order there. You begin to thank God, which is an act of the will. You begin to dwell on the things of God, and we're going to talk about His Word in a second. You begin to thank God and thank God, and all of a sudden your heart can't help but rejoice because you're filling your heart and your mind with the things of Jesus Christ. It's an act of the Spirit. Therefore, it is possible, it is possible to be sad and joyful at the same time. Some of you have experienced that. We cannot escape the pain of a difficult situation, but we can learn to rejoice in God himself and in the good things that God will do through our suffering. Number three, choose by faith to put your trust in God. Practical things, things you've heard much of your life probably, but these can be your lifelines when you need them most. Choose by faith to put your trust in God. This choice, I've experienced this. This choice will help you be more objective and consequently more alert to the reasons why God may be allowing this trial to occur. Perhaps the greatest reason God has for taking us through trials of life is to bring us to the firm conclusion that we need God. We need God. Mom and dad are here this morning, and I've always heard mom say that many times God doesn't, you may not have a reason, we may not understand all the reasons why we go through things, but sometimes he does it just so that we will get close to him. Just so that we will snuggle up closer to the bosom of our Lord. And if that's what it takes to keep us close, if that's what it takes to keep us victorious in this life, if that's what it takes to get us to heaven, then I say, okay, God, thy will be done. If it's going to cause us... See, God knows. He's sovereign. God knows that what we need more than anything is to get close to Him. A choice. It is a choice. Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. God's goal through our trials is to strengthen our dependence on Him. We must trust Him to work in His way and in His time that will produce the most good in our lives and that will glorify God the most. As we call to the Lord in our distress, believe that He will deliver us. We could be several weeks on that point right there in and of itself. But I hasten. Number four. Believe and act on the Word of God. Believe and act on the Word of God. Believe Jesus. We can see that Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, he was tested. And he responded to each temptation by quoting Scripture. I believe Dave and Lisa's Sunday school class has been uh, talking about this, or in that chapter of Matthew 4. For example, when Satan urged Christ to turn the stones into bread, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 8.3, and he said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
We too can follow, we need to follow Jesus' example and successfully engage into our spiritual warfare by proclaiming the truth in the face of our temptations, in the face of our tests. In the face of our trials. You see, when we submit to God and when we resist the devil, the power of the Lord comes alive and he has to flee. He has to flee. He has to. He has no choice. When you begin, when he begins to throw things up in your face, you throw this back in his face. He cannot stand it. And stand on his word with faith and with confidence and trust. He cannot stand it. He has to leave. He has to flee. If you're facing spiritual warfare, if you're facing things that are coming against you, take these steps and get into God's word. If you'll notice that Ephesians 6, 7, don't turn there, but that's whenever we're told to put on the full armor of God. It describes that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And if you look at everything that's listed, the sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon that is listed. Everything else is a defensive type mechanism. (laughs) But we have the sword. You use the sword to attack. You don't necessarily use it to defend. You use it to attack. It is the only offensive weapon. Use it. Use the word of God in your life. A couple verses, four verses. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we remember the name and trust in the name of the Lord our God. I pray that God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. That's conditional. Do you see that? It's conditional. Because you and I will trust in him. Then, (laughs) after the trust, after the trust, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. As you meditate on the truth of God's word, which is living and active, you can learn to effectively battle the enemy of your soul with the sword of the Spirit. Last point, number five. Step back and see what God is making in you. Step back and see what God is making in you. Oftentimes it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to step back, if not nearly impossible. I know because I've been there. It's almost nearly impossible to see what God is doing in the midst of our mess. Oftentimes we'll ask God, why are you allowing me to experience this? I found a passage in Deuteronomy that um, I don't think I have. It turned with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteron- I want to hear your pages. I want to hear the pages rustle. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Oh God, help us. Sometimes God has this as a reason. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first six verses. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Now stop. This is God speaking to and through Moses. It's kind of like a state of the union address. And he's trying to uh, tell the people what he wants from them. Verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live (laughs) by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Sometimes God does not do what we want him to do because he's trying to teach us a lesson. Most of the time it's a lesson about ourselves. And how we need to change and draw closer to Him. Listen, God has the ability, we know, He has the ability to protect us from every trial or distress. But sometimes He chooses to deliver us in, in, we don't like that word, do we? Sometimes he chooses to deliver us. And I just closed my Bible, Dave. What's seven say? We want to experience that, but yet sometimes we don't want to go through it to get there. We want God to always take us around it. God, dig a tunnel, or God, get us over it, or God, you know, make it just go away, God. And sometimes he says, no, I can't. I think at times as our heart breaks, God's heart is breaking. But he knows what's on the other side. I went back to the word in. Let me read this. 
Glorify ye the Lord in the fires. Mark that little word in. We are to honor him in the trial. In that which is affliction indeed, and though we have been many cases where God did not let his saints feel the fire, yet ordinarily fire hurts. But just here we are to glorify him by our perfect faith in his goodness and love that he has permitted all of this to come upon us. And more than that, we are to believe that out of this coming, something more for his praise than could ever have come but for this fiery trial. We can only go through some fires with a large faith. Little faith will fail. We must have the victory of the, in, the, in the furnace. A man has as much religion, oh boy, I don't know if I want to read this, because it's an amen or an ouch. A man has as much religion as he can show as he goes into the trial. Let me read that again. A man has as much religion as he can show what he has going into the trial. The men who were cast into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, came out as they went in, except with their hands roped together. How often in some furnace of affliction God strikes them off. Their bodies were unhurt. Their skin was not even blistered. Their hair was unsinged. Their garments were scorched. And even the smell of fire had not passed upon them as they were in the furnace. And that is the way Christians should come out of furnace trials. Liberated from their bonds, but untouched by the flames. Now listen to this. That is the real triumph triumphing over sickness in it. Triumphing over death as we die. Triumphing over adverse circumstances in them. Oh, believe me, there is a power that can make us victors in the strife. There are heights to be reached where we can look down and over the way we have come and sing our song of triumph on this side of heaven. We can make others regard us as rich while we are poor. Make many rich in our poverty. Our triumph is to be in it. In it. First Peter, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Don't forget that. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've read a story about a missionary named Amy Carmichael. And she was married and had children with her. And she was a missionary to uh, India. She tells the story that one day she took her kids to the local goldsmith as he refined gold in the ancient village tradition. What he did is he made like a little homemade uh, furnace or crucible is what it's called. Crucible is another word for a furnace. And I think I have just, yeah, on hot coals. He just made up his hot coals and he made his own little homemade furnace there, his own uh, homemade crucible. And into the crucible, he put some salt and some pulp from a local fruit tree. And he also put 
dust from bricks of the area. And he also embedded in the middle of all that a gold nugget. They watched as the fire worked on the golden nugget, quote, eating it. As the refiner put it. From time to time, he would remove the nugget with tongs and let it cool, and then he would rub it, squeeze it, and form it in his fingers. Then he would return it to the crucible, return it to the furnace, and then he would blow the fire hotter than it ever was before. And the refiner looked at Amy and the kids and said, the nugget could not bear it so hot at first, but it can bear it now. And what would have destroyed it then helps it now. Amy asked, how do you know when the gold is reached and the gold is ready and purified? And the refiner said, when I can see my face in it, I know that it's purified and ready. The Lord wants us to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. And all things in life are sometimes the tools and the tongs in the hands of the master refiner. That's why all things work together for good to those who love Jesus. And in the process, he purifies us to reflect his fates for all the world to see. This is why he will allow us to go into the flames. This is why he will allow us to go into the fires of life, to strengthen us and to purify us so that when people look at us, all they'll see is a reflection of Jesus Christ. Job tells us, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, I'm hastening to close. I could end right here, and I believe God will have spoken to me, and perhaps God has spoken to you. But the individual who posed this question to me, they asked specifically, how can you face it? This individual was facing news that could eventually lead to death. Turns out that it hasn't, but praise the Lord. But they asked me, how can you face it all, Pastor Brock, when the news that you get could even lead to death? Even in times when our trial may lead to death, let's remember and focus on what our final goal is, church. Our final goal is eternal life. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This life is just a practice session. It's just like a hotel. We are not meant to be here for forever. I believe it is possible to be so in love, so in tune with Jesus, to be so conformed to the image of himself that even when faced with death itself, we can reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be held prisoner at the thought of death. When those within President Abraham Lincoln's cabinet were worried and anxious and afraid of all of the uh, um, assassination attempts that were to come upon his life, Abraham Lincoln said this, If I am killed, I can die but once. But to live in constant dread is to die over and over and over again. Christian martyrs, 
talked about this on Wednesday. Story after story, when they were led to their deaths, they did not go kicking and screaming and cursing and swearing. It says that they went singing. That's reflecting the Lord, Jesus Christ. I end with this quick story. There was once a seasoned saint who was near death and was bedridden. And on one particular day, she seemed rather insistent that she wanted a bath. She just really wanted a bath. And her family members couldn't understand why she was so insistent on getting a bath. But they obliged her and helped her get a bath and get cleaned up. And says that once she had the bath, she almost seemed to be at peace. And almost as if she were ready to go. And four to six hours later, she passed. Listen to me. Christians die well because they've been made clean by Jesus Christ. (laughs) They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And once one is bathed in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, they are ready for whatever the Lord throws their way. They are ready to go. They are ready to stay. They are prepared to die and no earthly trial, no earthly test, no earthly hardship can take away their place in heaven. It only hastens that for which we've been living. So even as one faces the biggest test and the trial of them all, death, there is victory. One more verse in Romans 8. Is it up there? One more. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death Right off the bat. He's just going to get the big one out of the way right away. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to ask my son-in-law to come up, and we're going to do a song. We're going to do a closing song. And I want you to listen to the words of this. And, and um, this is a song we, we thought about doing, but I never even thought about it in conjunction with the message. Um, but I want you to listen to the words of the chorus. Because this is my prayer. And I hope this is your prayer. If God has spoken to you, don't, you know, look, if you've got to leave, then leave. But if God is speaking to you, if, if you're going through something and, and you need help, you, these, these things have spoken to you, don't wait. Don't wait. Come before God this morning and come to an altar and someone will come along beside of you and just put their hand on you and pray with you. But there is victory for you today if we will but reflect the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. Would you bow your heads, please? Father God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord. Thank you, God. God, I know that's my desire. 
is to be a reflection of your love. God, whether we always feel like it. I'm not talking about feelings or emotions. I'm talking about the will. God, what do we want from you this morning? God, there may be someone here that is going through a, a terrible tragedy, a terrible thing in their life, a terrible trial, difficulty. God, maybe they need to come and just give it to you and allow you to form inside of them that what they need the most. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.